podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland, I'm Trev Downey and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Malby as we speak about all things Liverpool Football Club. So let's do it all again. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. I hope you're well. It has been a while, Dave. We've we've had a week off because of international malarkey, uh, during which I know you were travelling, and I assume you had some sort of uh, uh, football duties over that period, did you? No, I didn't actually. Uh, ah, okay. It, it was just it was just a visit to my homeland, but you know, and you know, whereas in most countries it was pretty low key, wasn't it? The international break, but you know, in Denmark there was a bit of excitement because of. Uh, of Christian Eriksen returning to the national team. So that in itself was a story. Yeah, that's a lovely feel-good story. I think everybody was kind of excited to see that. Uh, a goal-scoring comeback, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And there was even a little bit of joy and happiness around my neck of the woods as uh, Ireland are on a semi-decent run and seem to have a, a few good young kids coming through. So a little bit of optimism all around, which is a rare thing. Uh, but of course, on the bigger scale, uh, we had some very high-profile matches uh, involving Liverpool uh, players as well that we'll all have been keeping an eye on quite nervously as well. Um, you know, the most high-profile one of all, of course, is the rematch between uh, Mo and Sadio as their two countries uh, played in, in the, the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Sadio having been the victor in the uh, AFCON and uh, emerged the same again uh, in the in these World Cup qualifiers as Egypt went out and poor old Mo Salah misses his penalty because of course it's a game between Senegal and Egypt and they just they tend to be not the most entertaining affairs uh, that go to extra time penalties and you know there's a lot to talk about uh, with it but I just two things that I'm sure you did notice yourself um, was the really sort of uh, I would have thought completely out of order use of the laser pointers that was going on um, from the crowd and absolutely nothing done about it when lads were taking penalties. I mean, there are all, there are all these incredible photos of Mo with basically a green face. And then the uh, pretty uh, awful abuse that he had with uh, security lads leaning over him um, as he was leaving the field. It was... Uh, Pretty unsavoury, the whole thing, wasn't it? I have to be totally honest, Trevor. Uh, I am getting a little bit fed up with how certain fans are behaving at football clubs. You know, mm. ever since ever since sort of COVID and we've allowed people back in, there's so many incidents where you go, "What is wrong with you? Just behave, will you?" You know, we 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 had 
was a Leicester fan run on, uh, when they played Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. But even this week, you just talked about we had the incident. We also had the Nigerian fans who ran on at the end of the game protesting. I even think the England fans and their reaction to Harry Maguire, you know, and booing people. And I, I don't know when anyone ever told these people that this is the best way forward, you know. Uh, I think it's been proven that Liverpool isn't the best way forward is to support your team and your players and, and, and take it from there, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, we saw the laser thing even last summer when, when, when England played Denmark in the semi-final of Euros. And I just, I, I just don't know who thinks that has any place inside a football stadium. You know, just because you pay to be in there, then that allows you, gives you the right to, to in that, manner to try and put off somebody taking a penalty it's i think it's fucking mind-boggling how people are behaving i just don't get it Trevor. it's i'm not i'm not talking about the the majority of course i'm, I'm talking about the minority isn't it but it's it's it, honest to god it's one of the things i'm looking at and i'm going what is wrong with people you know it's and we had we had the protesters didn't we in the premier league where they ran on and handcuffed themselves to the post and all things like that is i mean there's there's obviously a place to, 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 to protest and there is a lot to protest about, isn't it? But football grounds, is that really the best you can come up with? I mean, it, it, it does really wind me up. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, exactly. We had the we had the Manchester United incident not that long ago, which was kind of farcical in and of itself, um, you'd have to say. And uh, like you say, um, maybe it's just people have been cooped up. I have no idea, but there is... I'd agree with you. Definitely a sort of uh, a, a ramping up of whatever sort of dodgy elements, the worst kind of things. And, you know, look, there'd be no love lost. Do you know, do you know what the problem is, Trevor, I think? What's that? It's, it's these people aren't worried or scared of the punishment, are they? Exactly. You exactly, know, yeah. There I are mean, no sanctions, yeah. No, but if you went to Anfield and you did something and then they would exclude you or for, for Anfield for life, that would worry you, wouldn't it? You know, but but I guess a lot of these people are not worried. Are they? these people run on the handcuff themselves to the post? Are not worried that they're going to get they're going to get a course and probably thrown out, not allowed to enter football stadiums for the next whatever meant. But it doesn't bother them, does it? Because that's not why they're there, is it? So it's kind of you know, and it just winds me up that people always find, you know, football carries a lot of responsibility, isn't it? But we can't deal and solve every problem via football, you know. It, it brings brings us back full circle to the point that you made. It's it's you're, you're so right. Anyone who thought that their actions might result in them not being able to see their beloved team uh, wouldn't be taking those actions in the first place. So it is these. It's obviously uh, individuals who have no real stake in it um, um, for the most part, or as you say, are completely unafraid of whatever sanctions might accrue. You know the. Like I said, I was saying there, there'd be no love lost for from from any Irish man when it comes to the England team, and particularly some aspects of the England supporters. And I don't think that's a controversial thing to say because you know, I mean, you know yourself from uh, living in Liverpool that uh, you know that's <laughs> scousers think of themselves as an independent republic anyway, uh, and not necessarily English in that sense, or at least a lot of them do. Um, so it was a bit weird, uh, and you just kind of roll your eyes when you hear this booing, um, like the stuff that happened, the Go- Joe Gomez incident not that long ago. Um, I was 
the most surprising thing for me, Jan, I'll have to admit, right? Okay, it's unsavory, whatever. But the most surprising thing for me was the lengths lads were going to to roll out the support for poor old traumatized Harry. It, it, it seemed completely over the top, the response to what was, okay, it's not pleasant. You don't want to see that. And, you know, I, 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 I'm one of those guys who I don't want to tell you how to support, but I would say I'm mostly not for booing. I don't see the point of it. It's, it, it's to me, it's, it's quite Everton. And I don't, I don't see the point of it. Uh, but, you know, do what you want. You pay for your ticket. Fine. But it's it was really striking how many people went out of their way to post all these messages of support for poor traumatized Harry Maguire. I, I found that I found that almost weirder than the booing. Well, it's 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 obviously the world that we live in, isn't it? I mean, I'm not saying I mean, but the only thing I can compare it to is how the world was prior to I would say social media, and the only way you would have a voice on incidents like that was if somebody stuck a microphone in front of you after the match. But in between, there wouldn't be any way you could get your message out there, whereas now uh, it's available everywhere, isn't it? And I guess once one starts, and I think it was probably started by Gareth Southgate. You know, I think the England players probably looking for, oh, the gaffer started this, you know what I mean? So I would think it would be in my interest to follow suit, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, it is, it's a bit like, and to be fair, Manchester United players have, have, have mastered this this season, where after disappointing performance, they come out and apologise. I mean, if I was a, if I was a fan, and after every time my team uh, didn't perform to the level I expect, and they came out and apologised, I would really get fed up with that. You know, it's so it it is kind of it's the same thing with the England thing, isn't it? Was there any need for them all one by one to roll out and go wherever? You know. They probably just should have left it to the manager, you know, and let that be the voice on behalf of everybody else. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's certainly uh, a lot of eyebrows were raised, certainly most Liverpool fans, when, when they were reading Jordan Henderson's extensive support. It was quite the essay. Uh, and one or two uh, wags pointing out that uh, he didn't have a whole lot to say when his own club mate was... Uh, you know, treated uh, in a pretty horribly disrespectful way by by a by a fellow teammate, and had to suffer the the reaction of the fans as well. So it's a, it's it's one of those things that people love to talk about, and it probably would only, it's only a talking point because we have no proper football to focus on. Um, that's going to be the focus of the next chunk of the show because it was very interesting, I thought, to read an interview with. Tiago, who, you know, let's be honest, has had the most glittering of careers, uh, a serial champion, if ever there was one. Um, all the trophies he's won with Bayern and Barca. And yet he was saying the other day I was talking with some friends about it, it being Liverpool's April. And he said, uh, I never had, in the years that I've been involved in football, I've never had a month so exciting like this with such important, exciting matches every three days. So it's going to be amazing, he says. Well, it's not the most exciting month of my career, but sure, it is exciting because you're competing against the best in the best competitions as well. But it also reminds you that we're in finals 
it says he says it looks like a World Cup, a European Cup, where every game is a final. Um, with that, uh, we are in one mission mood, and we are there. I'm not 100% what it means, but I I, you know, I think we get the general gist. So, I mean, it, I, I thought it was particularly interesting to hear someone like Thiago talking about uh, how spectacularly busy and uh, exciting this month of April is going to be. And it is nuts, Jan, to look at it. So you'll know this, but just for the record and for those listening, in case you're not 100% familiar, we start on Watford who we'll obviously focus on towards the end of the show. Uh, that's a home game on Saturday at mid- midday, half 12, actually. And before you know it, Tuesday will roll around and we're off to the races in the Champions League against Benfica at their place. We have a quick-ish turnaround then back to the Sunday. We go to Manchester City. We then have Benfica uh, uh, three days later in the home leg at Anfield. We then have City again. Uh, on the Saturday in the uh, FA Cup semi-final. We have on the 19th, three days later, Manchester United at our place, Everton at our place, and Newcastle United away to wrap the month up. It's ridiculous, the amount of games, and more to the point, Jan, the importance of them. And Kloppo has started this conversation about every game being a final. And it can sound a bit cliched, but it's never been truer because everything is still available for us. It's mad to be able to say it, but those, all of those trophies are within the club's grip. So every Premier League game, each of the games in the cup competitions, the pressure is going to be on, unreal. But I don't know, man, like I said to you before in the last show, it's hard not to be very excited and very hopeful, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. But I mean, I guess if you look at those April fixtures and at the start of the season, what fixtures would be the first ones a Liverpool fan looks out for? So the first one you look out for would either be Manchester United uh, be, be because of the, the, the hatred between the two clubs or it would be Manchester City uh, be because of the uh, the competition we now have with them. And then in third place, it'll probably be Everton. And you have all those three clubs in April, City twice. Uh, so that in itself gives you an idea. And then, of course, you're looking at two quarterfinals in the Champions League and possibly towards the end, there could be a semi-final at the end of April as well, isn't it? So that, that in itself just indicates what an incredible month it is. The only thing I will say is that this is probably the good news is that Everton and Manchester United are not in great form. It's not maybe something at the level where they might have been a few years ago, where they were stronger, isn't it? So, but th- those games and those opposition surely must find something when they play Liverpool, you know, because when they play us, it's an equally big, big fixture for them, isn't it? So surely they must find something, isn't it? So that adds to it all. That adds to it all. It's, it's yeah, it's going to be a hell of a. And the big question is, you know, how do the club, do the club, the players and club and that? But I think they're pretty chilled about it. I think they're pretty chilled about. It. I don't even think they're. They're overly concerned about playing City twice. I think they feel that, you know, obviously on any given day it can go either way because City is also a very good team, isn't it? But I think, I think the players are ready and going, well, you know, they've got nothing that we're worried about. We've kind of played against them at their level for the last four years and, and, and we've done okay. Uh, and then, of course, you've got all the other games to go with it. Benfica, yeah, I think that was a good draw. You know, I think we've got a good handle on, on Portuguese football. Generally, we, we run up some big scores, especially in Portugal. So I'm not overly concerned about that. But but of course, 
if you if you if you go to to Lisbon in the first game and you don't get it done, you know, you you come back with a draw or even a, a one goal defeat, and all of a sudden that adds to the to the return leg. And so yeah, it, it is going to be one hell of a month. I mean, when I was a player, I can't remember ever having ever having a month like 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 that like that in my career. It's, it is incredible. Yeah, the congestion is remarkable. The 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 importance of each of the games is remarkable. Every time you turn, and each of the Premier Leagues has that extra significance of there's a point in it at the top of the table, and 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 everyone will feel that we can't afford to give any gifts away. So every game feels like a must win. There is a potential, I suppose, where if we were lucky enough to do the business uh, over City in the league you could possibly then free yourself up a bit to maybe drop a ball somewhere between here and the end of the season. But it just makes that City game all the more important. I have heard people say that the league game against City is potentially one that now, because of the closeness, because of recent results for City, because there's only a point in it, that it's maybe not as important as it once was because they have looked capable of dropping points. Uh, I don't know how reassuring I find that. I, 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 to me, it does feel like a must-win. What, what do you think about that concept of the league game? Maybe not having as much weight on it as it would have if we were a full three points or still six points behind or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think I think I'm right in saying that City have dropped points in three of their last seven uh, Premier League matches. So. That in itself will, will give us hope. And I still think that City... So take the weekend. I mean, we're, we're recording this prior to the Watford game. We go first, Watford. So by the time they kick off, we should be top. They go to Burnley. Burnley away is not a good fixture for them. Burnley at home is a great fixture for them. But away, it's not. So there still is. And, and we know what this is like, Trevor, because we had this going back three years ago. We will talk about Liverpool in this way that we, we, we find it difficult to, 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 to beat teams with a, with a low defensive block and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I think City, City have found it difficult and found it difficult at Burnley, isn't it? So, yeah, I think they're quite capable. But I do think that both clubs, if there is to be a loser, if there's to be a loser uh, in, the, in the league game, I think whoever loses that game priority will, will shift elsewhere then the, the cup semi-final becomes everything and then the Champions League becomes everything isn't it so uh, I, I'm not convinced that we can afford to lose at the Etihad although you, you would you would definitely take a point and go I can I can live with that you know because they are quite capable of dropping points you know in a week where we discovered that City um, miraculously were the only club to make money when everyone else was losing it Probably less said about that, the better on this particular show. Uh, we may spend a bit of time analysing the whys and wherefores of that at a, late, a later date when we've got our, our ducks in a row. But it looks hinky as fuck, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's a reminder, Jan, of what it is this team of ours has to fight in each competition, because they're there, you can't escape them. We've got the fuckers in the cup. They're going to be our chief rivals, clearly, in the league. We have to probably beat them if we're going to win the Champions League. It looks like it's possible that might be a thing as well. So it's just, it, it, <laughs> it's a reminder, isn't it? 
that little thing where you know the figures are published and oh amazingly manchester city are managing to make money while everyone else all these other major clubs far more perhaps established in terms of a tradition of success and fan base across the world and revenue streams and all the rest of it uh but no they lose money because of the understandable reasons of the pandemic City managed to keep making money. It reminds you, doesn't it, Jan? Of it's a remarkable challenge that Liverpool are up against. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I only saw that headline. I didn't really look into details uh, of it and how they made made their money. Uh, but yeah, it's just an indication of, and also, you know, long term, Trevor, you kind of understand the challenge we're up against because it isn't just Manchester City. We've also now got Newcastle, who wants to be a part of. Of, of that kind of set so, uh and of course Manchester United have always been in a position where they're capable of outspending on us as well and we'll have to wait and see what happens at Chelsea isn't it so in terms of that it's a hell of a challenge that awaits us you know as much as we are where we are now right now we also know that when we kick off again in, in, in August next year it's it's another one of them where you go you, you never get ahead the, the thing is that those City and certainly Chelsea and whatever they don't really allow you to get ahead of them in because they've always got they they got that bounced back ability, haven't they? Where they can do something about it. Should they fall behind, they can rectify the situation. Whereas you know our whole business model is is built on something totally different. I'm not suggesting that our owners hasn't got access to an awful lot of money, but that's not how we run the club, isn't it? So it's a, it's, a, it's a massive challenge, and and because of that, it's 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 even more impressive the way that we can we can keep right up there with them. You know, I saw recently um, Paul Joyce, who seems to be the most in the know of the the journals, uh, being interviewed and talking about how, you know, it's looking very much like if the Mo Salah deal gets done, then there's every chance that that will be the, the the resulting summer will be very quiet uh, because you know then it, it will that's your lot kind of thing um, maybe maybe Fabio Carvalho um, as a potential um, but bar that he seemed to think that if the Salah deal gets done that will probably be you know the height of it now I, I feel like an awful lot of people could console themselves with that considering where we are with um our forward situation you'd like to think that there's still plenty in the tanks of uh, Sadio that Bobby can still do uh, quite a, a, a bit for us and uh, that we have now Diogo Jota uh, and to have Salah signed up I think would make everyone feel so much better anyway and I think we've been speaking recently about how that kid could really tear up record books uh, where he to stay so that reality i think of course you're going to have lots of people crying and saying we need to tear the midfield apart blah 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 but i i think it's a reality most people could live with what what do you reckon yeah i mean you know our sense of midfield has always been something that people have been discussing because for for some people it, it can be difficult to see what it is that our midfield does and some people struggle to go how can you be where you are with a midfield like that but but our midfielders have very specific roles I mean, we don't have any Kevin De Bruyne running around in our midfield, but we have players who give something else. So it will always be a part of the team that will be up for discussion. Isn't it? But, I, but I also think that if you look at it, so we, Nat Phillips has gone to Bournemouth, 
and he looks like there's every chance that's going to be a permanent deal. Nico Williams, I know they like him, uh, but we could potentially sell him to Fulham. They're going to go up and, and they're absolutely in love with him. Uh, and, and I think he is a good player, Trevor. I think there's a player there. But then that could mean that we wouldn't have to give Fulham any money for Cavalio. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the mo, you, you, you'd have to have a little look under the bed for the money to make sure we could pay him. And the biggest problem, of course, you got then is that what you do with the best goalkeeper in the world, or if he isn't the best, he's certainly in, the, in between the best two or three. And what you do with the best right back in the world, and what you do with the best central defender, and what you do with one of the best number sixes in the world, it it it, it, it is a can of worms, isn't it? They open up business. So, and had you asked me three months ago, I would have probably said, we're going to find a way of doing this. You know, whether that's via a, a, a big signing on fee, I don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, but obviously, the closer we get towards the back end of the season, I'm a little bit unsure. I'm a little bit unsure. Uh, I just feel that were the deal to be done, why, why haven't we got there as of yet, you know? Yeah. I, I... I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs, really. I've heard some interesting chat about it and some interesting theories. And I think one thing that is complicating it is that, you know, a potential revenue stream from a superstar like Mo Salah um, is off the table. In that Mo, his agent or whatever, own all of his image rights, and that's an unusual situation. So that could be complicating issues in terms of uh, payments and bonuses and all that type of thing. Yeah, you'd hope they get it over the line. I mean, it's very, very exciting. But, you know, people are also then suggesting, look, if it doesn't get done, uh, then it's likely that you're going to have probably two people coming in. And that brings its own level of excitement with it, too. So we'll watch this space, I guess. And God knows there's enough for Mo to be doing in the short term. And I think everybody will be hoping that he has the reaction we were hoping he'd have after the AFCON. Uh, which is that he'd come back absolutely all guns blazing. He didn't really. Um, and now he, he he's had the misfortune of, 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 of seeing his team go out of the World Cup and not have that ahead. In a cynical way, of course, a lot of Liverpool fans were saying immediately, well, look, I'm delighted he's going to get the rest. Uh, and, you know, long term, maybe that might be exactly what he might need going into the next season. Um, but, you know, it's all about the short term now, because like we said, April is such a massive month and we're going to need uh, Salah at his very best. You know, a, a little story that's been floating around as well that I wanted to hop off you in relation to uh, the FA Cup game against City. Um, it's this is this is such a a disappointing uh, tale, uh, but obviously the train situation um, is problematic, and there's very limited train service, and so loads of people were floating potential swaps and um, date swaps and fixture swaps that could have happened that weren't particularly crazy simple thing like perhaps just changing the the uh the date of the 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 league game with the fa cup game something as simple as that um but you know it didn't seem to be up for discussion um it didn't seem to be on the table at all and now we hear that you know the fa in their generosity has put on a hundred chartered coaches um, I think for each of the uh, the clubs, which is what about five thousand fans roughly that can attend the fixture, and 
then, you know, again, the chattering classes start talking about, well, you think the club would be putting on buses and coaches as well. All of this seems a bit odd, Jan, and it's just disappointing in many ways as well, isn't it? That that there's that feel about it that the fans are very much a secondary consideration. And that's pretty shit. You talked about the excitement of the day out at Wembley, whether you think this there should be semi-finals there or not. That's how it is. Lads will be looking forward to it. It's a massive game and it just feels very compromised now, doesn't it? Yeah, but there's so many things about it that's mind-blowing, isn't it? So, for starters, we've we obviously got the plan work on, on the train lines, which everybody's, well, not, the people who need to be interested in these things could have known about these things for almost two years. The FA have had a letter warning them when the fix of this came out. But on top of that, the semi-finals are Easter weekend, which, you know, even for overseas TV, is that really a good weekend? Is, is that the weekend where people sit at home uh, at, at, so, at half past three on a Saturday afternoon? Is that even a good weekend? Is that a good weekend for one to put another 100,000 people on the roads? Uh, just all them things. But the bottom line, Trevor, they put on 100 coaches, blah, blah, whatever. The FA can't afford to play those scheduled games anywhere else than, than, than Wembley because they, they obviously have massive loans that need to be serviced, so they cannot play them anywhere else. Also, corporate hospitality have been sold for on deals for three, five, ten years, or whatever it is, isn't it? So my whole problem is the weekend. What a shitty fucking weekend to put it on here. Easter and no trains. It beggars belief. Yeah. It's staffed on so many levels, and it's disappointing on so many levels. You can't help but wonder now what it's going to look like, sound like, all the rest of it on the day. But it is what it is. I just wanted to bring it up because these kind of things should in, be pointed in, out. In the, end, in the end, Trevor, it won't make any difference. There will still be 100,000 people there. You know, football fans have got an unbelievable ability to get there. You know, we, we've had the problems whether it was in Istanbul or whether it was in Kiev or whatever. People just get there, don't they? And they'll be exactly the same. And that's the problem. The FA knows that. They know that people will get there. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking about, whereas it just feels like the fans are an afterthought. Sort yourselves out. Here's a token gesture. Just quit, quit whinging, get on with it. And it, I don't know, it just it, 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 it just it feels off in many regards. But, you know, like I say, at this stage, it, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. For a final word then on this monumental April of ours, and just to to have a look at at some of the rest of those fixtures, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about Watford um, in a little bit here. You mentioned earlier on that the the draw against Benfica, and I, I don't know about you, but it always feels to me like I've, I have to qualify everything because you don't. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is say, "Well, that's a great draw," but just genuinely speaking, you have to say if you were going to pick uh, opposition, that's who you'd have gone for just because of the comparative strength of the squads and all the rest of it. So maybe Villarreal, but that's who you'd have gone for. So it, it, we, we, we'll take that and, 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 and run with it. There's no guarantees in cup football and Champions League football, but you'd like to think Liverpool will have enough. We won't talk too much about that, except to say we, 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 the first leg, the away leg, I would like to think, Jan, in the same way that I did in the previous round, you'd love to see the Arlot go there and do enough in that game 
with the remarkable group of footballers that we have, that you might even have the luxury of not having to go full strength in the home leg. Does that seem a little bit uh, optimistic to you? Because <laughs> I don't, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of Benfica. I've only seen little bits in the Champions League. So I don't really know a huge amount about them. I can look at their squad and recognize some footballers in it uh, that I know are excellent. But I'm just, from the perspective of trying to balance out the month, you're you're looking at it and you're kind of looking for any little hope at all that you might be able to do a bit of rotation with the squad because otherwise these lads are going to get flogged. Uh, so what do you think around that? I mean, is that even a possibility, really? So you you just mentioned the draw and you mentioned Villarreal. I'm not sure you want to play Villarreal. You know, I, I know that Unai Emery came to Arsenal and didn't do a particularly good job. He's a good manager. He's a European manager. He sets up his teams really well. And I think that would have been a really difficult game. Benfica, you said you there's a lot of names you recognise, but there, a lot of those names you recognise, Trevor, are people who have had their better days, isn't it? You yeah. Know, they, they've kind of, they've kind of, they've kind of done their playing at the highest level, isn't it? So I don't think club is about to add to another busy April by playing a cagey first leg. I think he, he's massively clear to the players there is an opportunity here, you know, to take the press off the second leg. So yeah. I don't know. I mean. I can see a similar thing to the Inter Milan. You know, even, you know, the Arsenal game, and we briefly discussed it on, on the show, and, and I think we almost got it right how he was played. Keep it a bit tight in the first half. You'll get chances in the second half. And I, I can kind of see the Benfica game ended us with, 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 with scoring a couple of goals against them. Uh, you know, as much as I was, I was having a look through our recent fixtures against, you know, and we don't give any chances away. We don't concede any goals, isn't it? So I think 2-0 is probably the most likely, which then massively would take the pressure off for the second leg. And that would be very much the hope, especially with Manchester City in there between them and the the size and, and significance of that fixture in the league. But, you know, we also have, we've briefly mentioned that game that we have after the second leg of Benfica against City in the Cup. And then, like I say, we have this run of Manchester United, Everton, Newcastle. With the Villa game currently postponed, um, I don't know where we, where it gets fitted in. When that happens, I'm, I, I, I honestly don't know what what the situation is going to be there. Does it get pushed, really, from a place where it was scheduled um, for mid-April uh, to somewhere in May? I, I, I don't know, but there doesn't seem to be anywhere else for it to go. Because Saturday the sixteenth is is City and and Tuesday the nineteenth is Manchester United and five days to Everton and another six days to Newcastle United. So unless you wedge it in there somewhere in the gap that doesn't really exist, I assume it gets pushed to May. I don't understand how else it could work. Looking at that end of the month, then when we come out the far end of that City game in the FA Cup and hopefully we'll be in a position to be talking about Liverpool going to Wembley for another final. We have United, Everton, Newcastle United. Now, looking at that, and just to complete our chat about April here, the United games are always sort of deeply unpleasant affairs because of the tension that's associated with them. In recent years, it's always felt as if, to me, in recent years, it's felt increasingly less tense because I just feel that we are just the better team and you just have a lot more hope 
in you going into those fixtures that even if the opposition are at their best, will still have enough. Um, I kind of still feel that way, but again, they're those one-off United games. There's a, there is a risk factor to it, but it is Anfield. Everton, um, again, it's the one-off derby notion of it, but they're not in a good place. Uh, they're really not in a good place. And again, we're at home. Newcastle away, is there a trickiness to that? Just on each of those games, maybe just a, a quick take on United, Everton, Newcastle to see uh, the month out. How are you feeling about those? Because they, there might be some aspect I'm not, I haven't even considered there that 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 that, that um, is jumping out at you. No, I mean, obviously you know. Well, in in, in fairness, you don't. I was going to say you know about United, but we don't we don't know what we're going to get. Every time they play, we have absolutely no idea. We can't get away from the fact that there is a team in there somewhere. They are quite capable of putting out a formidable team, uh, but they haven't played well for a while. And it's, it sort of looks like the white towel is in, isn't it? Their season. I think they even they believe less and less and less Arsenal and Spurs are, are, are favourites in, 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 in the fight for that fourth place, isn't it? Everton, a bit like Watford, obviously, are nowhere near the quality that we have. But the fear of relegation does do something to you, Trevor. It does make you find something. Although you have to say that Everton this season, away from home, been very weak, weak mentally, weak physically, uh, and and, and they, they took some heavy beatings on the road. Newcastle, had they not been safe, would have been a tricky game. I think they slowly put together a good squad. They've got a good team. They're not good enough to even next year with that squad to compete. But had they not been safe, that would have been a different game. But I just think that the fact that they're safe and they're going to be playing the Premier League next year will take the edge of that game. Uh, so I can imagine that instead of that being a sort of a nervy game where, where they're going to try and play on the counter, I can see that being quite an open game. And I can see quite a few goals in that game, potentially. So, but of course, there's danger everywhere. There's danger everywhere, Trevor. You play Manchester United and, and Everton, even when the two of them are nowhere near what we expect. It's still United and Everton. There's still an edge to the game. So, but I do fully expect this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of games, obviously the two City games are the two that they're, they're, they're not greatly worry me, but certainly the two that keep me on my toes and I'm thinking these two are going to be special games. Yeah, yeah. Look, at, man, it's just exciting. I mean, you have to lean into that Thiago version of events. It is just really, really exciting. And there's something about uh, Liverpool under Klopp where that idea of rhythm is everything as well. And playing all these games could really just suit us in a way that it perhaps wouldn't suit other clubs. So, look, it's hard not to be incredibly hopeful. And the fixture that gets it all kicked off this month is Watford, who we play at Anfield uh, at half 12 on Saturday. Uh, and that is going to be a very interesting sort of affair. Uh, you look at the league table and you see Watford currently on 29 games played, 22 points. Um, Everton are the team next to them who have two games less played on 27, and they are three points ahead of them. So even with Everton not being particularly good at the moment, it looks a little bit, I know it's only three points, but with the two games in hand, it does look a little bit like 
uh, poor old uh, Watford might be getting cut off. Um, just in terms of that, before we look at them and and and, and maybe their individual uh, players and, and and what they can offer and the recent results and all that, um, just looking at the at the table, yeah, for a second, and and we'll include Watford as the primary part of this chat. Does it look to you now very much like it is going to be Watford, Burnley and Norwich who are getting sort of marooned now if if Everton were to get at least three points from those two games in hand, it would start to look pretty ugly for them with a six-point gap, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you know, you were looking at Brentford who took one point from, from eight, uh, but then all of a sudden they won two before they lost at Leicester. And, and then, of course, you've got Leeds who had these two incredible late wins against Norwich and Wolves. Uh, and to be fair, they were probably, I was probably more worried about those two uh, than Everton, but, but they look like they've created a bit of a gap. And now it's Everton's turn. Uh, Everton have got a difficult game of the weekend, West Ham away, but then they play Burnley next Wednesday. Away, Everton a week away from home. I mentioned that before, Trevor. That's 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 a big one, isn't it? That's it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 do Burnley have an opportunity there to, to rein them in in a really serious way? I mean, there's currently four points between the teams, Burnley on 21, Everton on 25, both of them 27 games played. So that's a massive game. Yeah, it, it, it is a massive game. Uh, the one concern I have with, 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 with Burnley is the lack of goals. I mean, they brought the Dutch boy in from, from Wolfsburg, of course, but he hasn't quite worked off. Uh, it's not quite happening for them. Uh, so, yes, it does look like the three are there at the moment. They do, do like, look like the most likely. I mean, in terms of Watford, Roy Hodgson is a... You know, he's a certain type of a manager and he's well organised whatever but he isn't an overnight manager so you don't bring in Roy Hodgson and then expect him to change things overnight the type of managers who do that is the likes of Harry Redknapp and whatever they come in and they change the mood in the club within 24 hours or whatever Roy's not like that Roy's much more of a long term so I'm not surprised that the results haven't really come because it takes time with Roy and I think they'll probably just run out of time but I think if you look at their squad goalkeepers championship level Defenders, Championship, Midfield, Championship. The front guys are like, I think the front guys, the front guys are Premier League quality. And when you look at their results and you see them beating United, scoring four and five at Goodison, you can see why that is. Because if you catch them on a good day, the front guys, uh, you, you, you can find yourself in some trouble because they got pace, they got people who can score. So that's the one thing you have to be respectful of. As much as we think, yeah, this is straightforward, isn't it? But just be careful. You know, they're quite capable of catching on the break. And they've got some really quick players, some good players. Players are in a reasonable good goal-scoring form. So that would be my only concern. Yeah, and it's worth taking a bit of time to parse that out a bit because you've you've put a lot on the table there and you're dead, right? Um, with all that you've said, their most recent out, out, outing was a win. They had uh, a win over uh, Southampton at Southampton's place, a 2-1 win. Um, they got hockeyed by Wolves 4-0 uh, away uh, before that. Uh, they had a 3-2 defeat at home to Arsenal before that, a 0-0 with Manchester United previous to that. Palace put four past them to their one in the game before that. They had a win over Aston Villa then in the previous fixture 
and Brighton beat them 2-0. And that's kind of, the, the, those results are all over the place. Like you say, they're capable of pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Um, and then uh, they're capable of having an atrocious result in the next game. And when you look at, the, you mentioned the players, the, the 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 potential that they have for ca- catching you on the on the brink with their with their pace and all the rest of it. I'm just looking at the most recent lineup that they had against Southampton in the game that they won, and they had Foster and uh, Cabasele and Samir were their centre halves, Kamara and Femenya were their full backs, Sissoko, Luza and Kuka. Uh, across the middle, and then Hernandez and Bonaventura uh, with uh, JP up front. And I'm looking at what they can bring off the bench, Jan. And, you know, when you see the likes of Craig Cathcart and Tom Cleverley as uh, as as backups, you know that they're heading into sort of uh, veteran territory there. Josh King, of course, is still in the in squad as well. Um, Ken Sema came on that last game. Daniel Bachman, um, who we've seen uh, be the first choice in the past. Uh, Samuel Kalou, um, and then Troost Ekong as well, who I have to say I don't know a whole lot about. So I'm looking at that squad and I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. We can't afford any kind of um, lackadaisical attitude at all. We'll absolutely have to be on it. I would hope we're going to be a little bit more than on it. I hope we're going to go out and absolutely give them a roasting. I, I think some team I've been waiting for it for a long time really, really is, it has, that, has that coming um, should all our, our, our forwards click in one game or at least two or three of them. Um, but I, I totally get what you're saying. It's, it's one you're going to have to be careful with. Uh, regardless, there is no easy outing in the Premier League. It's just that when you think of it, it always has that feel, not in a not in a lazy, arrogant, egotistical way, but just in a, how can you not always favour our squad over almost any opposition? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Trevor. We've spoken about that many a times, but the problem is that everybody brings something, don't they? Everybody brings something, whether that's defensive organisation, you know, whether that's physicality or whatever. I'm not convinced that you. A lot of people, I think, thought that Roy Hodgson will go in there. And, and get a, a grip on their defensive situation. But if the players aren't any better than what they are, you can only get so so far. You know, so I think he's he's been frustrated with he's getting them organized, but they're still not capable of doing their jobs. So I, I come back to Emmanuel Dennis up front, Ismail Saar and Kuko Hernandez who've been scoring over the last year. They they are a handful, all three of them. And I think all three of them are kind of looking at what could possibly be going down. And then they're looking for themselves, aren't they? They're looking for their own Ismail Sabi and Link with Newcastle and whatever. So I think all those boys are looking for themselves, but 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 they're a handful. I just think it's one of those games, Trevor, that there's going to be spells. I don't think we'll be at it for 90 minutes, but there will be spells in the game where our tempo intensity will be too much for them, and they'll make mistakes. And I can't get my eyes away from. It's one of those. We might not even play brilliant to score three or four, but that's kind of where I've landed. I can't get away from. I think they'll make mistakes. I think they'll be stressed and, and, and we'll score three or four. They might get one, but I'm more likely to think that this is going to be one of them three, four nils at home where you kind of go, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, we're really, really hoping so. And there are a couple of uh, adjacent stories that we need to look at because we're obviously going to have a look at Liverpool for this game as well. And it looks so far like we're, doing okay in terms of returning international stars. Um, 
very encouraging photos of Trent uh, in training. Um, I would imagine it's still probably a little bit soon for him um, for this game. But it is very, very encouraging to see him uh, training and see the pictures from the training ground. I've seen him on an exercise bike and uh, the picture, the other pictures I saw, he was walking around. So I don't know how, how much he's actually doing. Um, I, there was an, an article I saw where it just said Trent returns to first team training. So that remains to be seen what the extent of it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll assume that this game comes a little bit too soon for him. So you're left with that uh, quiz question about what do you do uh, in terms of that right-back position. Um, we had a discussion about it on the uh, AIP recently, and I wouldn't mind just bringing you in on it as well, uh, because it was quite an interesting chat that we had, because we realised that really there are no good options as such. You, you know, in terms of how can you possibly replace Trent Alexander-Arnold? You can't, he's a one-off. So w- w- there's a couple of things you can do. You could go with... Joe Gomez, who's clearly an excellent defender, but isn't exactly tremendous going forward and sometimes his crossing isn't great and so on and so forth. I certainly wouldn't have that attacking aspect on the level that Trent has, but again, who does? But he does very much have the defending down. Jimmy Miller has been a popular option for Klopp as a kind of a, a sort of you know, Swiss Army knife in terms of whatever you need, uh, old Jimbo can 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 step in. And I still like James Miller when the game's ahead of him. I, I still think he's he's an excellent footballer when the game's ahead of him. I do think that I've noticed, and I, I'm, I'm hardly the most insightful uh, fella going, so I'd imagine there's loads of other people have noticed as well, that he doesn't seem to have a full match in him anymore and that he's usually gassed by about 60. And it's not got, it's nothing to do with... Uh, endurance and fitness. We know he's in tremendous shape, but it's a, you know, we've spoken about this before. It's a di- match fitness is a different thing. So that's again another option. And then there was a wild card of maybe putting someone like uh, Jordan Henderson there uh, because maybe he might be able to do the attacking bits better, even if he's not particularly wonderful when it comes to defensive uh, work. Am I overthinking it, Jan? Is it just going to be Joe Gomez, do you think? Uh you are possibly overthinking it, but there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with running through options. Uh, there will be some people who will go, wait to say since you send down Nico, but I don't think it was because Nico Williams was desperate to go out and play football. That was the only way he could learn the things that he needed to learn. So I look at it and, and I think you make a valid point on all three of them. Uh, you know, I, I, even I was going to say, had you not mentioned Jordan Henderson, I would have mentioned him and said, it is an option. But I just think that club will look at it and go, Gomez, you know, if, if if we go back to the Forest game, uh, which which he came out quite well, I think Klopp will go. If I don't play him in in this sort of circumstance, when do I play him, and how do I keep his morale? And you know, so I think Klopp is 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 also psychologically looking at a few things and thinking. For everything, this seems the right decision, isn't it? Joe is a defender, and 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 playing right back is mainly a a defender's job, isn't it? So I think he would think that Joe would be really disappointed if he moved James Miller back there. So I think, yeah, I think it'll be, be, be Joe Gomez. You know, just on Joe Gomez, and we'll keep it, we don't have to go into a huge amount of detail on it, but it's kind of hard to see where Joe's getting games with the emergence yeah. of Kanate. 
And it's a conversation that's been had in a lot of Anfield Index pods of late, and I just wouldn't mind getting your opinion on it. I've heard an awful lot of people, and it's, it's kind of where I'm going myself, say things along the lines of, like, this kid is so good, he needs to play football. And it's an awful waste if he doesn't. And more to the point, he knows that. And he knows that he's too good of a footballer to be getting a rare opportunity. So that seems to be pointing in one direction this summer, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. It is obviously a nightmare situation. It's a nightmare situation for Klopp because there's no way Klopp want to lose him. It's a nightmare situation for Joe Gomez because I don't think Joe Gomez has any desire to leave Liverpool. But of course he wants to play. He's proved that, that he's good enough. You know, he's been in and around the England setup as well. Uh, so he's thinking, you know, you, you often hear these people. I mean, even looking to, listen to young Nico talking down at Fulham, isn't it? You know, just that playing, it, it just changes everything. So it is a very tricky situation, isn't it? But, but the big thing is that Joe's proved that he, he's, he, he deserves and needs to play in the Premier League. And uh, it might not be with us. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe he'll have to move on. And just to move forward through it then, like you say, a lot of lads have been busy, a lot of lads not so busy. Uh, Tiago's obviously had a, an opportunity to do a bit of training and he's given interviews about how excited he is about, about um, April, so we'd be optimistic he might start. Hopefully Fab is fit enough to start because he's such a central figure for us in this team of ours. Uh did did Fab play though in the in the in the late Brazil game or? I didn't find out whether he got into oh, that. Or I, I, not. Didn't, I didn't look at that either. I'm just thinking that did he play and then he played 90 minutes and returning back Thursday. Yeah, it's we, a bit. We, yeah, but I, I haven't looked into that because it was a it was a pointless game. Well, they'd already qualified, hadn't they? So I'm not sure what the score is. Yeah, exactly. So that that yeah, it's so, so the midfield may well be surprising again. Um, I think Nabi Keita is doing okay as well, fitness-wise. Jordan Henderson obviously doing okay, I think, fitness-wise. So, look, you'd like to think there's going to be a useful uh, trio there. But just to focus a little bit on the forwards, uh, because we do have this embarrassment of riches. Uh, if you had your pick at the moment, uh, it's a really interesting one, actually, because I, I, I think Sadio and Mo probably picked themselves because of the strength that they have in those specific positions. And then you're looking at it's one of, isn't it, with Bobby and, and, and Diogo Jota. And there's an argument to be made for both, but whatever about the fact that he can seem to be having, or just actually having pretty much a stinker of a game and still whack in a goal, I don't know about you, man, but that sort of makes Jota my favourite to start every game he can, you know what I mean? Because it's the most important part uh, of the 90 minutes is is, is getting that, that ball over that line. And if, if we have a lad who has the knack, it's kind of hard to, to see a team without a minute, isn't it? Yeah, it's just incredible, isn't it? He? he is an incredible player. He's an incredible, effective player. You know, it's always him, isn't it? Arsenal kind of going nowhere again, bang, 1-0 him. Forrest the same, isn't he? He has an ability uh, to problem with the big goals. And I think if you look at Luis Diaz, I think he played twice for for, for Colombia and we'll probably return him back. And I think the big thing with Mo Salah and Sadio Mane is that, you know, those wide attackers, their their roles with and without the ball, they obviously know it in their sleep. And I think that's why Klopp will favour those two in a lot of situations. Of course, you'll look at their 
uh, exhausting uh, World Cup qualifier. Uh, but, but but those two boys always seems available, isn't he? So I think those two will play with shots through the middle. Yeah, and you, 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 of course, the, the, the uh, in the back of my head, the reason I wasn't bringing up the as I was reading all these articles about how heartbroken the poor chap is because Colombia didn't qualify for the World Cup. So uh, I don't know what state he's going to be in, but again, the travel, all the rest of it. So look, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a lineup Klopp puts out. Hopefully, it'll be enough to um, get a couple of early goals and put our nerves at ease, so we can actually maybe enjoy watching the match for once. They've been way too close uh, of affairs in recent uh, in recent times for us, even though if, if the results are always going well. Just to spin it right back to the Watford game then, uh, in terms of how you feel that result will go. Yeah, I said before when, when we previewed the game, I thought it was going to be three or four. In the end, I'm probably deciding that it's going to be, we're going to beat them 3-0. Uh, I think they're going to find it difficult to create chances as much as their strength is attacking, isn't it? As I said before, I just think there's, there's a button we can press. There's an intensity. Uh, that's, there's an intensity that really only City and Chelsea can cope with. And I think that would be the big difference between the two teams in the end. Lovely. Jan, it's been another belter of, of a chat. Really appreciate it. Lots to talk about when we've been away for a while. Those things tend to build up. Uh, it's just going to be thick and fast. We'll have... Uh, lots of games to two games to, to to look back on and two to look forward to in all the, the the podcasts over the next while. So do keep it here, folks, with us. And as ever, my friend, for another belter of a show. Thanks very much. Yeah, it it, it has it has been true. I mean, we've done this for a few years now, haven't we? But this is the month of all months. That's for sure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like I said, do keep it here, folks. We're, myself and Jan will try and uh, keep you uh, informed and entertained as we batter our way through April and hopefully emerge victorious at the far end of it with lots of things still on the horizon and maybe the most magical sort of accumulation of all still a possibility. Who knows? Uh, I would love to be keeping on saying up the four trophy reds as long as I possibly can. So, that was Jan Malby. I've been Trev Danny. This is Malby on the spot, and we will be back with you very, very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.